0: things that you should have on your plate with every single meal, what you should be eating for snacks, four steps to decreasing your stress eating and decreasing your emotional eating, what she gets from the grocery store each week, how to approach proper nutrition with your kids, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 400, 400 baby, with registered dietitian and member of the Orange Theory Medical Advisory Board, Kimberly Plus. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to The Best You Podcast with me, Nick Carrier. I believe the path to getting closer to the best version of yourself is different for all of us, but it follows the same framework. You see, our lives have six different areas, health, personal, career, financial, spiritual, and relational, and in order to get closer to the best version of ourselves, we wanna be managing all of those areas at all times, but also be spiking in one of them. If you wanna learn how to do exactly that, then check out my free best you planner and video course at nickcarrier.com slash best journey. Again, nickcarrier.com slash best journey. Y'all today's episode is going to be super educational and practical. So I hope you're ready to take some notes. Kimberly Pussell has her master's degree in nutrition. She's a registered dietitian and a wellness consultant who collaborates with multidisciplinary teams to promote fitness and women's health. She has over 20 years of experience serving as a content expert for local and national companies, and she's been an active member of Orange Theory's Medical Advisory Board since 2018. Before diving into the episode, be sure you're subscribing to The Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure you share the episode with a friend while you're listening. All you have to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, then I would love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Kimberly Plessel. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. I'm super excited today to be joined by the one and only Kim Plessel. Kim, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, awesome. I've been really looking forward to this one. And so a lot of people listening and have known that In quarter one of 2022, I had a very specific personal nutrition education or nutrition expertise goal that I set out for myself, where I started off the beginning of the year kind of identifying nine different nutrition books and at least one different podcast a week that I wanted to read and dive into and learn more about. And so I feel like over the last three and a half, four months, I have really heightened my own nutrition education and I've tried to Take in a lot of varying perspectives and points of view as to what is the appropriate approach. And so I'm really excited to bring you on. And the way I got made aware of you is because you are on the uh, Nutrition Advisory Board for Orange Theory. And so when one of our uh, learning our modules as coaches, we uh, got to got to learn from you and got some great advice and learning tips from you to be able to share with members and a lot of people who listen to the podcast are Orange Theory members as well, so I know they're going to be really excited to hear that and to learn more from you. And just everybody in who's is listening is a goal-oriented, fitness-focused person, so they're going to get a lot today. But basically, kind of the way I want to start today is if somebody right now is like, I, there's a lot of things that are wrong with my personal nutritional habits right now. If somebody feels like they're kind of all over the place and they're not exactly sure where to start, Is there a particular thing that you recommend people starting with, whether that's a specific meal, whether that is taking out certain things, or what is maybe the first thing that you would recommend somebody to start with if they're unsure of where to start because a lot of things are wrong?
1: Well, I really appreciate just even how you frame the question because I think it's so much more effective to focus on a small, sustainable goal because I see that as really the launchpad for continuous, sustainable change. So if we can break down our nutrition patterns in a way that's supportive and we can make small changes, we become more sure of ourselves, of our own ability, which is considered our self-efficacy for making changes. And that will just lead towards so much more long-lasting and more profound change over time. So typically when I meet with someone, the first thing I ask is, tell me about your life. So I asked them about their current nutrition patterns, just to get an idea of where are we starting, because that is very different amongst different people. And I also want to appreciate not just what they're eating, but more of their lifestyle. So what's influencing their time? Who are they eating with? How are they eating? Typically, when you start having someone share their story, they'll identify what they want to change or improve naturally. And so that's usually the best place to start because it's personally meaningful to them. Hmm. But even beyond that, usually when they identify something they want to change, the thing that I'm listening for is what's leading up to the vulnerability to the reaction that they're focused on. So most of us have tried different strategies in our life. We've tried different diet patterns. And we're really good about identifying what we do wrong, right? So instead, it's a matter of like, I ask them, well, what leads up to that reaction? Almost validating that I understand the vulnerability that they're going into those situations in because then that helps to reinforce and open up more doors to be proactive. So again, I I focus more on what to do, and I try to usually preempt the vulnerability and have them thinking about what might have led up to the reaction that they're trying to change.
0: So you're saying they'll identify the thing that they they might wanna change first, and you ask why the undesirable habit that they're doing, why that comes up in the first place?
1: And sometimes they may not even have that awareness. Or as soon as they start explaining or talking through it with someone that's listening to them, it comes up for them naturally. So an example would be I had a client she ate so clean so well breakfast lunch most of her day and then all of a sudden around three four o'clock she's ravenous and she was going into the pantry and her food of choice was boxes of cereal okay and she was felt anxious and and wanted to change that but one thing that came up as she was sharing that is she was completely under eating all day Hmm. and so part of that was kind of thinking about well what can we do earlier so that you can balance out your nutrition a little bit, focus on what to add, because that will reduce your vulnerability to reacting. That makes
0: sense. Yeah. yeah. And so there's, there's something else in there that I think you identified, you know, she didn't know necessarily, or did she, did she know she was under eating?
1: No, she hadn't okay. seen that pattern otherwise, or if it's uh you know, emotional response or a stress response, a lot of times people will hone in and just focus on what they're doing wrong. And so a lot of times it gives them a lot of support just to kind of back up and just see it a little bit from more of a curious kind of a a beginning, a learning perspective versus a judgmental one.
0: Yeah, well, let's say somebody then is experiencing, the issue might be different from person to person, but you know, she was experiencing being ravenous at three or four. And I think a lot of people might experience Maybe the same trigger or certain other triggers that are undesirable, and it's because of a pattern or a lack of nutritional intake or whatever. Like, How can they identify something that they might not even know that they're doing wrong or that they're not doing, if that makes sense?
1: Well, I mean, a lot of us develop these habit loops, right? We have these cues, we have a reaction or a behavior, and we're getting some kind of reward. So some of it is kind of appreciating that process. So a lot of times working with a dietitian or someone that specializes in nutrition, um, you can highlight, well, you know, you might... For her situation, she was under-eating. For others, it might be that they just need, you know, to be more consistent in spacing their protein throughout the day, which is is going to help them feel less ravenous, a little bit more satiated. For others, it might be all about trying to build back in some healthy, beautiful whole foods like fruits or vegetables, um, and just trying to get that fiber so they feel more content and then they're not kind of reacting and going more towards some of the sweets or some of the cravings that they're having.
0: Yeah. Well, now that we, you know, you talked about her under eating and then being ravenous at three or four, and then you talked about kind of having maybe the well-balanced meals of protein and fiber. So let's kind of dive into meal timing a little bit and what you feel like might be the approach that works for the most amount of people when it comes to meal timing and maybe the quantity or size of the different meals at those times.
1: Yes. Um, Well, so it's helpful to sometimes you know, back up and use some simple tools, right? We're really good about deconstructing nutrition. (laughs) So, but we don't eat macros, right? I mean, it's wonderful if someone thrives on that and wants to go into the details. It can, it can be a really great opportunity, but for a lot of people, they get overwhelmed, especially when they start navigating their work schedules, their home schedules. And so sometimes starting with just the plate method is something that just simplifies it and you can kind of think about that balanced plate. So if you're more athletic minded, they actually have the athletes plates that were developed by the US Olympic Committee and the University of Colorado. So those are kind of nice because they'll break it down into an easy or weight maintenance plate, uh, a moderate training day or a high training day. So that kind of gives you a visual of how to build your plate. Otherwise, you can use something along the Harvard's healthy eating plate or my plate So the way I like to describe this to my clients who want to keep it really simple is that you in essence have three plates a day. And so if you are more of a grazer, sometimes it's helpful to kind of think about like if you start with something like let's say you grab a piece of fruit and then you're hungry an hour or two later, a lot of times it's going back to that breakfast plate well what didn't you eat yet so then you kind of like balance out the plate through the different eating episodes you have in the morning and then the plate resets at lunch Mm. so then that way we don't get stuck on just one section of the plate right which is historically what we'll do so using a simple plate method just to kind of think about as three plates a day and trying to make sure that you're balanced and you have something from the plate throughout that time period will help guide snacks. So a lot of people ask, "What are the healthiest snacks?" And my first question is, "Well, what didn't you eat yet at <laughs> that <Right>. meal? <laughs> um, finish that meal. It's really helpful for kids. Like a lot of times uh, with my teenagers, you know, if they're hungry. We we kind of know kind of what we what they've snacked on or what they had for lunch initially, and if they're hungry late afternoon well, finish your lunch and then have what you want, you know? And so that's something that can help to simplify very complex nutrition plans if someone doesn't want to count macros or do a full day plan. So simplify it. Um, Now, portion-wise, typically, to keep it simple, I always encourage people to have a palm of protein at their meals because that's going to meet um, kind of their protein spacing needs, especially if you're trying to build lean muscle, um, or just kind of become more fit with your body composition. So spacing protein throughout the day is really important to um, help people build lean muscle or to keep their lean muscle while they're losing weight. A palm of protein is going to probably be visually pretty close to the recommendations of what someone would need um, spaced throughout. So most people need between for women you know at least 15 maybe 20 grams of protein to 25 30 men probably closer 25 to 40 grams of protein if they like to get a little bit more detailed but again if you can at least use the visual that's helpful and then building half the plate from plants so whether or not that's all vegetables or if it's a mix of fruits and vegetables but really trying to put in those nutrient dense foods because that will help um, one, give you great nutrition, but it also is that fiber that a lot of us are lacking in our diet that helps to uh, help our stomach stretch so that our fullness hormones are released and we feel more content on less calories because a lot of people are trying to navigate caloric needs throughout the day. So visually taking half the plate from plants at least a quarter plate from protein, at least it's a great start. And then you have your quality carbs, your healthy fats that you can incorporate as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So palm of protein, half plate from plants, a quarter from uh, the healthy carbs and uh, healthy fats. That's great. And then, like you said, I think one of the things that you know I've coached people through a 10 week transformation program and so many people are snackers throughout the day, and sometimes people snack twice a day mid-morning mid-afternoon sometimes it's one day and i often get the the same question of what should i eat and like you said i think that's a great way to think about it like okay which of those three pieces did i not have in my actual meal and how can i just close that gap of the thing that i hadn't eaten i think that it's really important for people to sit down and you know maybe name what a couple of healthy protein snacks are if they missed out from the meal. Name a couple of healthy fat snacks if they missed out from that meal. Maybe a a couple of healthy veggies or fruits or whatever it is if they missed that from the meal. And that way they can piece all the important components together so that when they do go to snack, they're actually fueling themselves appropriately and in a way that's satiating as well.
1: Exactly. Well, and I love the concept of intuitive eating. So I've worked as a dietitian for over 20 years and there's, you know, a real stigma around dieting and weight cycling. And so a lot of times if someone... Is just fatigued of food tracking. You know, intuitive eating is a wonderful strategy that just helps to raise awareness of your hunger and your fullness cues, right? That's part of it. And so just having people ask themselves on a scale of one to 10, how hungry are you? And you know, if they tell you that on, you know, one is hangry, so I'm like, well, okay, that's vulnerability, right? So then you go back to kind of helping to move earlier in the day so that someone's not vulnerable going into when they're making their food choices, try and help them raise awareness just to check in. And then if someone is trying to, you know, maintain weight, they're, they're trying to find a satiety cue of satisfied. And I, I explain that kind of like, you'll feel voluminous, you'll feel content, but you're not going to feel heavy, right? Like there's not going to be a heaviness in your stomach. That's typically weight maintenance for a lot of people. Weight gain is tip is the extremes. I, I'm vulnerable and then I try to survive and I will react and go to being overly full, which is that range from, you know, Uh, contents full seven up to 10, you know, where there's pain. Um, So trying to just have people ask themselves before you eat, just check in. Are you truly hunger at hungry at your gut level? Um, And then also about 10 or 15 minutes after you're done eating, when the satiety hormones have had time to register in the brain, how content are you? And if you're trying to lose weight, can you move towards neutral or just a gentle satisfaction? Um, or if someone tells me I'm eating till I'm an eight, well, let's try to move it to a satiety fullness uh, fullness cue of seven. You know, just trying to work them back in and just be back in their bodies. I've had clients of all ages, I mean, ranging between you know 20 up to 75, successfully lose weight just cueing into their intuition. Mm -hmm. without really making a whole lot of other changes, which is just kind of raising their awareness around what their body's telling them.
0: Yeah. I'm interested about that and people's ability to be honest with their intuition in the sense that I I think a lot of people can think they're hungry. And a lot of times that might just be because you've trained your body to eat at a particular time. You know, if somebody had a huge lunch and then it's 6 p.m they might not actually be hungry but they always eat dinner at 6 p.m and so they're thinking that they're hungry and so how through your experience how good are people at being honest with themselves about the intuition of their level of hunger and not just convincing self they're hungry so they eat
1: i totally hear you you know most people when they pause and just appreciate where they're at, they can reconnect with their bodies pretty successfully. If you ever watch a young child eat, they are in essence doing this. They are—you're incredibly intuitive until about the age of five. Uh, And then you know we go to school. We have influences of what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat. And so at some level, it's looking at how do we reconnect with that wisdom that we innately have when we're young. Now, some of my clients have shared that they don't necessarily feel hunger fullness very clearly. Sometimes it shows up as mood or the ability to concentrate. So giving them permission to. Frame this intuition, um, this kind of like hunger and fullness scale in their own terms is helpful because sometimes it'll take a little bit of time to relearn that. And uh, for those that want to actually do the food records for one to two weeks and just identify their patterns, that can be helpful too if you frame the food records just as a tool to learn from, right? While they are trying to reconnect with their intuitive um, hunger and fullness. And then what we do is we see how the body responds. And that will give you more clarity over time.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Uh, One of the things I want to jump into is the fuels, the fuel sources that our body uses when it comes to exercise, because this is something that I'm fascinated by. Because I think we, as a trainer and somebody in in fitness, I think we learned that you want to make sure that you have kind of some carbs right before, like relatively. In near proximity of when you go to exercise so that you have that fuel source. But then there's also this term that I feel like is gaining a little bit in popularity called metabolic flexibility. And that is your body's ability to recruit carbs for energy and then go to fats for energy and kind of back to carbs and depending on what fuel you have in your body and what's available. And so I guess the the way I want to start off asking the question is asking and getting further explanation as to. What metabolical flexibility is, and whether or not a lot of people actually have the ability to be flexible in recruiting the different energy sources. And that was kind of a lot, but.
1: Well, I think it's great that uh, just trying to appreciate what's happening in the body when we're, you know, we all know that food is fuel, right? So, but a lot of times what people don't realize is those foods have to be converted into an energy currency that the body can use. And a lot of us, you know, if you've studied, you know, nutrition or, you know, with fitness is um, ATP or adenosine triphosphate, right? So that is the energy currency of the body. And so there's going to be, you know, different metabolic energy pathways that can um, fuel our exercise. There's two that are anaerobic or in the absence of oxygen that we typically use for very high intensity, short um, bursts of energy. So that's going to be, um, those are kind of like the first 10 seconds up to two minutes. Um, But then the energy pathway that I think you're referencing and that most of us are familiar with is the aerobic pathway. And so a lot of us know that when we're using a lot of oxygen, we're going to be um, potentially oxidizing fat for fuel. And then as the intensity of exercise increases, the fatty acids aren't quite as quick. So then the body will go to stored glycogen um, or glucose in the blood to use carbohydrates for fuel as our, heart rates increase and as our intensity increases with our exercise. When you're thinking about metabolic flexibility, um, really what it means is that your body's going to use the fuel that you give it, right? So, Mm -hmm. if someone is eating a higher carb diet, they will use carbohydrates for fuel. Um, If someone also wants to trial the keto diet or significantly reduce the carbs in their diet, they'll be eating naturally more fats. So their body will use more fat for energy production. Now, there's a couple important things to think about with application with this, right? Right. Uh, Your body should be able to use the fuels that you are providing it. But if you are doing this for weight loss, oxidizing fat or using fat for fuel does not automatically equate to body fat loss. Okay. And that's a really important message because I think there's a lot of confusion about that. Um, you know, our body fat is the way that we store extra calories. So if we are eating enough calories, regardless if it's all from fat or a mix of different macronutrients we don't have any reason to tap into the stored fat energy fuels that we have, right? Um, So then it becomes more of a question is what goal are you seeking in um, approaching metabolism, right? So if you're doing high intensity workouts, I mean if you're going to Orange Theory, um, likely your performance based on the consensus of the research at this point, it might be impaired if you are not having carbohydrates consistently in your diet. So, right. you know, right now, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and the American College of Sports Medicine still highlight the important role of carbohydrates to fuel high intensity cardiovascular activity. So, mm-hmm. um, now there's some interesting metabolic adapt- adaptations that um, we're studying with you know higher fat for ultra or long distance um, athletic events, but for the everyday athlete, um, you really want to try just seeing how do you feel? Like, What does your heart rate do? What's your perceived exertion if you forgo eating before you work out or um, if you're prioritizing fat over carbohydrates as your primary fuel that you're consuming? So this can be a very personal journey right now typically you'll get a better exercise performance and feel better about it. It, it. I would assume with a little bit more carbohydrates in your diet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, cause right now one of the things I'm experimenting with just every so often, not every single day, but every few days is, is, is some fasting. And I personally, I've, I've eaten well and had a really good healthy diet for the most part over the last five years. And I, Kind of at the point where if I run at a high intensity, I can run at a high intensity having fasted for a decent amount of time and not really be affected by it and still perform pretty well. But if I try to do a very explosive exercise, like a clean or a heavy back squat, having fasted, then I'm a little bit more affected by it and might get a little bit lightheaded. And that's where I'm like, okay, I know this is kind of what my body needs when I do this. I might might need some more carbohydrates when leading up to a heavy lift rather than maybe necessarily a higher intensity run. And so, like you've talked, like you've touched on, so much of this is just a personal journey and learning about your body and and how it feels having eaten certain things at certain times leading up to exercise.
1: Exactly. So it's a matter of kind of appreciating. The science, but then also testing it for yourself. So if you go into fasted cardio, just know that you are, you know, in a negative protein balance. So consuming protein after you're done working out is going to be a little bit more timely and needed for someone that goes into it um, without eating anything before they work out. Mm-hmm. you want to protect that muscle. Right. Um, otherwise, you know, you can look at the intensity. If you have, know, your running pace or, you know, your heart rate, um, at a certain pace, I'm currently training for twin cities marathon. And so mm. I personally cannot go out running without any kind of fuel. <laughs> so yeah. I am much more productive if I have an easily digested carbohydrate before I go and do, um, you know, more of like, um, even long runs, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's going to fuel me better. But you know, if you're someone that has a low intensity, moderate activity, maybe power walking, or um, you're really going out for a more slow, steady run, then that's totally up to you. I mean, you can consider doing something along those lines. Um, but it's more of that, like yes, explosive. Um, you're you know needing that quick energy, or you're trying to hit those high intensity intervals. Um, carbohydrates are going to help you have less perceived exertion, they're going to also um, be that energy source that your body can um, pull from so that you don't um, hit the wall you know, as quickly and you'll be able to increase the intensity and duration more.
0: Right, right. One of the things I want to touch on is you talked about how a lot of people improve their eating from intuitive eating and this is probably along the same lines but kind of stress eating and emotional eating is where i want to get into just because i know that's so many people's one of their achilles heels is they'll they'll be fine throughout the day and then something happens in the evening and they have a whole bag of potato chips because they're stressed out or they have a whole bar of chocolate because they're they're really emotional or something like that and so what is maybe the conversation that you have with somebody look like and sound like when they do struggle with emotional eating or stress eating?
1: Uh, Well, you know, first off, I always look to see if there's any vulnerability patterns first, right? Right. So part of it is, you know, how how do they set themselves up for success throughout the day? Um, Then, you know, typically if we've trialed some of those strategies and they're still struggling with the stress or the emotional eating, usually try to help them land and start with some diaphragmatic breathing, just to slow down that stress response. So a lot of times, if you can get someone to do really deep belly breathing, that engages the diaphragm, which actually engages the vagus nerve, which touches all the organs and kind of actually helps to like calm down that fight or flight response. So trying to get someone to like have five to 10 really deep belly breaths, just to kind of pause for a moment and reduce that kind of immediate reaction. And then, you know, of course, if we can change the behavior, great. You know I mean? Like we talked about those habit loops, there's a cue, there's a behavior and there's a reward. And so We need some kind of outlet. We're looking for the release, right? When we're eating emotionally or stressed. And so is there, if we can't change the cue, can we change the behavior? So is there a little bit better reaction, whether... Someone can, you know, use a non-food related behavior that will give them that release. If they're not ready to do that or it hasn't worked for them, then trying to identify some of the foods that they can enjoy that are a little bit healthier that meet that need, Um, that's another strategy that you can help people with. Um, And then if they're like, no, Kim, I I just need this. respect that. Um, there's days I can totally relate. Then what I try to do is encourage them to focus on how they eat it. So this mm-hmm. is where you can move more into mindful eating. And so, you know, a lot of times if someone comes, you know, and you never want people to be frustrated or feel bad if they decided to indulge. Right. So a lot of times I tell them like, I understand that, but So how did you change it for yourself? You know, it's not yes or no, it's how. And so were you able to, one, just reduce the stress response through breath work? um, But two, can you engage all of your senses? So mindful eating is more about seeing, smelling, touching, listening, and really trying to savor the food that you are craving in that moment. Because if you can change how you eat it. I truly believe, and I've seen this work for many people, is that you can stay enchanted almost with that experience. You're not going to become so disenchanted and judgmental. So you feel like you're still moving forward on your goals. And so I talk about this enchantment, disenchantment principle. So I'm like, how, how could you enjoy this and still feel like you're being you're still enchanted with it you don't feel like you've kind of washed the day away um you gave your body what it needed or maybe it's something fun like uh, food could be involved in celebrations too what are we gonna um, you know if my you know 14 year old daughter makes a beautiful dessert because she loves to bake i mean of course i want to like connect with her and, you know, and savor that. And you can do that in a really successful way. That's not going to undo a whole day of supportive eating. Right. Right. So kind of shifting how they eat and helping them to kind of stay enchanted with that experience can be really effective, especially for sustainable Mm. change, because as soon as someone feels like they're off the diet or they have had any kind of failure in any way? That's usually a trigger to give up everything, right? So,
0: yeah.
1: um, I've really encouraged people to just um, change how they're, you know, responding because then they're still succeeding, and then the momentum will continue.
0: Right. No, I think that's a really great point because I know so so many people do have that throw in the towel if it's especially if it's towards the end of like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday had a bad meal and they're mad at themselves and like, you know, screw it, I'll blow it out the rest of the week and then next Monday I'll get back to it. But one of the things that I talk about is when the quicker you can self-correct, the better it is. But I think that I really liked the phrase of kind of still having enchantment with the meal and really realizing, you know, why you might've done it and trying to associate some positivity towards it. Right.
1: And then, and then you can also remind them that their plate resets. So the day is not done.
0: <laughs> their plate, there you go. If
1: You go out for lunch, you know, well, dinner resets. How can you balance it out later in the day? It doesn't even have to be at the meal. You, you can, it's really nice because it's like that safety net that a lot mm-hmm. of us need, right? When we're, we don't want to, the all or nothing is what will undo everybody. Yeah. In 20 years of doing this, that is the number one challenge to help people overcome um, so that they can have real, sustainable, life-changing um, improvements.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you said that. I could not agree more. All, all or nothing is, I always say, I, I recorded a podcast probably a few weeks ago about how you should not be an all or nothing person because if you're all or nothing, nothing is going to come it's inevitable that nothing's going to come. So, but you guys, if you guys are stress eaters or emotional eaters at all, and you did not take notes, then you need to go back and take notes because like you need to identify vulnerability patterns that you might have where you're not setting yourself up for success. Two, maybe before you go into it, take some time doing some diaphragmatic breathing. Three, if you can't change the cue, change the behavior. I talk about one of my clients, she would get stressed out from her kids. And so instead of having a Bottle of wine. We had her take a bath to get that same that same stress relief. And then step number four is think about how you eat it, not just necessarily what you eat. How you eat it through mindful eating, through seeing, smelling, listening, savoring the food, and trying to associate some enchantment and positivity with it. So uh, that was that was awesome. I know that's gonna benefit so many people. Now I'm kind of I'm interested in a couple of different mom topics because. I, I help coach a lot of moms and I know a lot of moms are listening and I just think it's it's beneficial for everybody. Let's say somebody has kids who are picky and they're trying to be good nutritionally, but they're like, I don't really want to make two meals, one for me and me and my husband and one for the kids. What's the best way to approach that? So maybe my kids either have buy-in to the healthy meal or maybe I can just cook it in a way to where it doesn't take me much more time or tell me how best a good way to approach that we'll be back to the interview in just a second but first i wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program i started running the 10wt in the beginning of 2020 and i've had over 150 people on counting go through it and they've seen amazing results both inside and out if you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say.
1: Hi, my name's Vanessa and I joined Nick's 10-week program because I really wanted to challenge the stereotype that college kids are perpetually exhausted, stressed, and running off of mac and cheese and PB&J. Since joining Nick's 10-week program, I have had the goal of just incorporating more consistent exercise and working out four to five times a week. And so I've been able to do that. I hit my goal of getting in 50 workouts over 10 weeks, which is really exciting. And my favorite part though about the program is the things that I've taken, how I've changed outside of the gym because of what I've done inside the gym. Like I am more disciplined, more focused human being. And I know that when I say that I'm gonna do something, the follow through is going to happen. And that's things that I've learned all through the 10 week program. And so that's been my favorite part you should join Nick's program. Like, you need this. <laughs> well, I totally hear their um, <laughs> their pain. I have two kids, <laughs> so, and it shifts and evolves over their lives. And so, um, first off, if you are a mom with young children, especially, you know, infants, right. Or even if you're, if you're breastfeeding, I mean, if the more varied our diets are, especially, you know, there's research that's shown that women, while they're breastfeeding, if they're eating more of these um, vegetables or bitter foods, those toddlers will accept those foods easier later. Mm. So that's really intriguing. So it kind of starts with you know, pregnancy and and through the breastfeeding, we have a lot of opportunities. And then, you know, a lot of times, you know, picky food behaviors really are pretty entrenched by the age of four. So Mm -hmm. if you have toddlers, the more that you can introduce a variety of foods, the better. And there's some research that's shown even like different textures by, you know, safely, obviously, depending on where your child's developmental... Right, right. Eating is at, but nine months, you know, you're trying to start in, introducing different textures because textures, let alone flavors or aromas, there's lots of different reasons for children to either accept or deny different foods. So if you can start earlier, fantastic, um, because you're going to have better odds. So, and I, and I recognize, you know, time is of the essence when you have toddlers. I remember two right. years and, you know, it would be amazing how, you know, I, the day would go by and it's like, how do I like balance all of this? Heaven forbid, you need to take the children grocery shopping, right? Because that, that's a, a feat in and of itself. <laughs> so, so starting young, um, trying to get them involved in cooking is really smart because as children are engaged in cooking with you, and there's a lot of really kid-friendly cooking utensils. I had um, utensils that my children could use safely at two Years of age, you know, two or three. And I would just give them like the little things to cut just to, one, it gave us something to do together, right? But it also, um, that you would, you watch children, they'll just start eating if it's in front of them. And so that helped to introduce new foods as well. And then it really comes down to setting the stage at the family table. So research has indicated that children want to emulate what they see, right? So we can't expect children to eat foods if we're not doing it ourselves. And so modeling the behaviors that you want to see in your children is a huge opportunity. But then the emotional tone around the meal is the other really important component. So you want it to be enthusiastic. You want it to be fun. Um, if it's more authoritative, you're going to sit here until you eat this, there will be more resistance. So if you can kind of model those behaviors, just um, you know, simply have those um, new foods on their plate, but fill their plate with other things that you know they're going to eat because then you're not going to get into these you know, struggles around um, them eating anything at all. So a lot of times, you know, I would fill their plates with the fruits and veggies I knew they would eat. And then I would put, you know, the new food on their plate as well. Try to keep it neutral. Show, Eat it with them, you know, be enthusiastic and a little dramatic about how amazing it is and what a wonderful cook you are. <laughs> and uh, children will be much more accepting, but it does take, you know, 10 or 15 you know, positive exposures until a child will start to change their acceptance of a food. So don't give up. Just continue to do it. My son surprised me years. I, he Years later, all of a sudden he... All of a sudden, started eating roasted cauliflower, and I, it just blew me away. I you know I I actually wasn't putting it on this plate, and I should have been, right? Like, so it, it's kind of like because I would just sit there, and be like, "Oh, I love this so much," and he actually was curious, and so trying to have fun with it will open up a lot of doors and be a lot of supportive for the for the moms listening and the, and the dads listening today.
0: It's mm. awesome. Yeah, no, I think a lot of those things that like you said, the fruit food preferences are determined at an early age sometimes when during pregnancy or during breastfeeding. And I really liked you know setting the tone at the family dinner table, not in just what you eat but also how it's gone about and, and how it's done. I think that's really important from a, um, a parenting perspective as well and kind of from the same tone of the parenting perspective of nutrition and especially because like you said you have a 14 and almost 16 year old son, a 14-year-old daughter and almost a six-year-old, 16-year-old son. I'm very curious. The way that people are growing up now is even way different than when I was a teenager. And there's so much more out there that I think gets people emotionally charged when it comes to body image and, and things of that nature. And I think people's eating disorders, the percentage of people who have eating disorders are probably just going up and up. And so how do you, as a parent, approach the balance of, I want to make sure I encourage healthy eating and, you know, get them to eat healthy. But at the same time, I don't force it too much to where they think that their self-worth is based off of how they look and things like that. So, what's where's the balance of that as a parent? How does that play out?
1: That's such an important question. And, um, you know, the risk, you know, to eating disorders can develop really at any point, but the the window of time is really, I would say 11 through the mid twenties, right? So there's this window of time where, you know, teenagers are going through puberty, their bodies are changing, you know, um, there's going to be a lot of body image. And so what we've tried to do is really, you know, I've actually used the balance plate a lot with mm-hmm. my um, kids. And so kind of like, you know, if they want something fun, you know, that I respect that, you know, it's like, but can we balance it out? So I try not to associate it with good, bad, but more of balance. Um, and so, you know, kind of saying, can you balance out your lunch choices or can you, if you're going to go with your friends and because now they're independent, I mean, you know, they can go and do what they want to (laughs) do. So, you know, and so, but it's interesting because you know, encouraging them to to continue to listen to their body and say, you know, let's, how does your body feel, you know, and, and letting them learn those lessons about how they're fueling. Well, how is your energy when you eat, um, certain ways? How is it when you balance things out a little bit more? Um, and, um, how can you continue to encourage mindful eating? So a lot of times, again, eating slowly, savoring, encouraging that behavior is huge because then we're satisfied with less and then you know a lot of times that will equal out but you do want to you do want to be really respectful um, that if you have any concerns of an eating disorder that you seek out you know professional um, support as soon as you can just because you want to give you know those young uh, teenagers or young adults that, um, as much support as possible so, how do we help them reconnect? Um, how can we talk about the balanced plate is helping them to have a rhythm. All of us need to have a rhythm, right? We we feel better when we have some kind of pattern to the way that we eat. It doesn't have to be rigid. The plate is nice because you can choose which fruit, which vegetable, which protein. There's no rules around what, right? So it's more about um, giving teenagers autonomy of choice this is a huge age where they're wanting to exert their independence and so um letting them pick that like okay if you want to make your lunch or you want to make dinner we're actually trying to encourage that um still working on that one <laughs> so um you get to cook once a week I really want them to have those skills before they leave the house. But one of the expectations is, okay, you can pick what you want, but it needs to be balanced. And so they need to think about the protein and the, the carb and the fruit and the vegetable, or, you know, the healthy fats or mm-hmm. whatever it is, or the fun, you know, fats too, you know, whatever they want to create, but we're just trying to get them to think about how do you balance out that plate when you're planning a meal. Mm-hmm. It's a great project, especially if you're busy Parent, and um, you know, they're needing to go to this, that, and the other sport. Um, then one night they're maybe home, let them cook dinner for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, second, the second last question. First off, that was awesome. I think that's such an important topic that you know, I'm only 27 right now and don't have kids and not married or anything like that. But it's something that I've thought about because I've heard other people talk about it, and the approaches is just such a hard thing to do. And it's it's a tough balance to be able to find if you are because I'm so nutrition conscious now myself and I'm I'm pretty fine mentally with ha- with <laughs> with how I approach food I I binge on whatever I need to binge on when when I didn't binge on it whatever and uh, but finding that approach with with kids especially if like, like you said that 11 to 20 age that mid 20 age is is a tough thing to find a balance so I appreciate you sharing that stuff uh, but second to last question to kind of leave with a practical tip is what are maybe a few foods that you on a on a weekly basis and there's probably a ton that you have on a weekly basis but what are a few top foods maybe maybe one from each each category that you're like this is definitely something that I get every single week it's a great healthy protein it's a great vegetable that I love to have it's uh, a great healthy fat that I like to try to put on my plate a decent amount
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, well, if you ever run into me in the grocery store, <laughs> I will have. I go to bulk uh, fruits and vegetables always. And okay. even if I don't have a plan on how to use them, there's actually a lot of power in diversity. Um, there's a lot of research coming out around the way that diversity of fruits and vegetables or any plants really Feeds the good bacteria in our gut, and that can reduce inflammation, protect us from disease, help us age well, healthy. Um, so diversity is important. So I do encourage people to kind of think about when you're opting for your produce, can you buy something from each color? Because each color is going to have different plant or phytonutrients in it. Um, so I do think that diversity is important. So, um, but you know, I always, so I'm always buying, you know, dark leafy greens. You know what I mean? There's, I have usually at least two containers in the fridge and everyone's upset that there's no room for anything else. And so I have my spinach on my mixed greens. Um, and I love, you know, purple is a very anti-inflammatory color. So I typically will buy purple cabbage and also um, blueberries or blackberries. And if it's winter, because I'm located in Minnesota, then I will opt for frozen varieties just to kind of mix into smoothies or, you know, um, my son will even eat them just frozen with a spoon and, and loves them that way. So I try to try to do some, you know, some kind of berries. Uh, seasonal, always, you know, I mean, I always encourage people, there's power in every different kind of fruit. There's different mm. health benefits. So don't get caught up in one specific, you know, it, it's really, again, the culmination of what you do um, overall. So um, trying to protect that blue or purple is a little bit trickier. So that's why the purple cabbage or the blueberries, blackberries is a little bit easier. Um, dark leafy greens, for sure. Proteins, I love fish, you know what I mean? And so just trying to encourage people to get familiar with salmon or um, cod or tuna because, and it can be easy. I mean, if it needs to be, you know, canned tuna that you can make into a quick wrap or on a salad that there's a lot of different ways that you don't necessarily need to take on cooking and feel overwhelmed again. Um, I also love beans. So I think there's a lot of health benefits of incorporating beans in your diet. So typically I'll buy chickpeas, um, which I can easily, um, if I don't have, time to to cook them myself and I will buy, you know, the um, organic chickpeas, rinse them off, throw them on a salad and incorporate Mm -hmm. beans pretty quickly in a diet that can serve as part of my protein needs as well. Right. So kind of thinking about opting for um, different legumes um, that would also include nuts and seeds. So, you know, trying to incorporate um, a variety of nuts and seeds is another um, wonderful protein and healthy fat. Um, So whether it's chia seeds, flax seeds, walnuts, almonds, um, again, variety, pistachios are amazing on salads. Um, Just trying to kind of encourage that diversity of choice. um, Those are some of the foods that I um, tend to prioritize.
0: Awesome. Great. I love it. I love it. Well, before asking the last question, Kim, I just want to acknowledge you for all the, first of all, just the education and information that you provided today. I know it's going to provide so much value to everybody listening. And I also want to acknowledge you for approaching the nutrition uh, conversation and parenting style with your 14 and and 15-year-old in the way that you do right now to where you do not uh, necessarily shove it down their throat. You promote balance and and making sure you have a balanced plate and getting them to cook. And when you do sit down at the dinner table together to approach it in the right way and not make it authoritative, but make it fun. And I think that's going to go a long way in their relationship with food and their relationship with cooking and everything like that. So I know that that's going to be powerful for especially a lot of the parents and, and maybe soon-to-be or future parents out there. And hopefully they take some notes and, and apply that for, for themselves and their kids down the road. Very good. Well, and also before the last question, I want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to maybe go learn more about you and some of the things that you do and some of your work. So is there any a good website or any social media or any good articles that maybe we could send them to to kind of take the next step and maybe educating themselves and hopefully implementing that and into something practical?
1: Uh, Yes. So there are, I work with a women's health clinic. And so we have multiple um, health education videos. Um, They're, you know, between 30 and 60 minute uh, seminars that I've given. And that is at oakdaleobgyn.com. I'm also on LinkedIn professionally. And I'm also, you can also reach me through Orange Theory. Um, There is a medical advisory board um, um, opportunity to connect with us there as well. And so, and then just to learn more, I really encourage, especially for those that are really fitness minded, um, you know, I love all of these different studies. It's very intriguing. So I'm constantly reading. I mean, nutrition is evolving all the time, right? I mean, you're never done learning. So having that really, you know, open-minded curiosity, Um, but then like feeling empowered to personalize this for you. But if you're interested in the consensus of the research, which is where I think there's A lot of value. You know, the International Society for Sports Nutrition has summary statements that are so helpful, and they will speak to protein spacing. They'll talk about different diets related to how it impacts body composition. And they really try to take more of that meta-analysis or kind of like that global view of where are all of these studies at and what's the consensus at this time. So I find a lot of value watching issn also acsm you know there are going to be wonderful articles and resources there and of course the academy of nutrition and dietetics and so um, they all have position statements and so that way you can trust that this is looking at the research as a whole because i think sometimes with these studies or you know when we hear about different diet plans it's really easy to get drawn into the details of one you need to really back up and say, okay, well, but who were the people in the study? I mean, were, were they women? Were they men? How old were they? You know, there's so many different factors that if you want more of that um, global perspective, I would look at some of the position statements. And that's really how we work at Orange Theory on the Medical Advisory Board, is how do we appreciate the science as a whole and make the best evidence-based recommendations that we can.
0: Mm, awesome. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna go International Society of Sports Nutrition. That's what you said, right? Perfect, perfect. I will. And make sure they're you all get your accessible
1: process. online, so you shouldn't have any issue finding those.
0: Great, great. I'm gonna get my, gonna get knee deep in those, uh, in those uh, articles today, probably. Uh, anyways, on to the last question here, Kim. I think that getting closer to the best version of ourselves is both a constant journey and a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is a little bit different than the way that you're going to get closer to the best version of yourself. So, For you personally, if there are three things that you can currently do or three things that you can currently work on to get closer to the best version of yourself, to get closer to that best version of Kim Plus that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on?
1: Um, well, I just alluded a little bit to um, just take that beginner's mind. Always be open to learning right. new things. Continue to read and just, um, you know, learn throughout your life. Um, you know, there's great opportunity there. So I really do commit to just staying on top of the different research, but also just you know reading for personal joy. That's why I love some of your podcasts because there's such a multifaceted approach to wellness, right? Like I love learning about different factors that will all help to elevate wellness, right? So um, so learning. Um, through second one, um, through the last two years, um, I've really finally been able to Really, truly, have a yoga practice that I commit to, and so I—I I feel like I've spent enough time that now I'm a little bit better about figuring out how to protect that pattern. Um, and every—I don't know if it, my enthusiasm will encourage my running husband and son to try this with me for their own um, well wellness journey. But I come up and I'm like, oh, I feel amazing. <laughs> so, so yoga is just a groundedness. Plus it's just, it's so healthy when you're an active person. You know what I mean? It's just going to help balance out these amazing orange theory workouts that we're going to or or whatever else you're doing for physical activity. And then the third thing that I am intrigued by and currently really trying to embed into my daily routine is just a five or 10 minute meditation. And so, you know, as I get older, it's how can I, land um, or even begin my day. I, I'm thinking that I'll probably embed that more consistently at night. That's what I've been doing recently. Uh, but I really want that to become a pattern because it helps us to stay grounded on the gratitude for everything right? that we have, our bodies, our families, our health, and uh, just gives clarity. How do I want to move ahead in the days and the years ahead?
0: Mm, that's awesome. Very Three great things right there, Kim. I know a lot of people got a lot of great value today. So you guys, if you did not take notes during that episode and, and write some things down because you shared some amazing things and make sure you go back and do so. Make sure you share it with a friend or family member who is on their nutrition journey right now and maybe struggling or trying to figure something out or maybe stress eating or maybe not exactly sure what they should be putting on their plate and, or what they should be snacking on. Make sure you send them this episode. They're going to want to hear it so they can start applying some of these things. But Kim, that's all we got today. I really appreciate it. I know everybody loved it.
1: All right, thank you so much for having me. I was so um, honored to contribute to the conversation and just best wishes with everything that you're doing to support everyone's wellness.
0: Thanks, I appreciate it. Y'all, that episode was fire. It was such a well-rounded episode on nutrition as a whole, so I hope you got the chance to take some notes so that you can apply all the things that you learned today. Also, make sure you share the episode with a friend or family member, whoever somebody might be on their nutritional journey and health and fitness journey right now. And this might be able to take them to the next level. This might be the thing to spark their nutritional journey so that they're feeling more energetic, more vital, and they become closer and closer closer to the best version of themselves simply because you send them this episode. So send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And remember, remember our recommendations about your three plates a day and what they should contain the three things, a palm of protein, half a plate from plants, being from vegetables and or fruits, and then a quarter of your plate coming from a healthy carb or a healthy fat. And then when you need a snack, ask yourself, which of those three did I not have in my meal or which did I maybe not have a lot of? And then snack on that. Also, be sure that if you're a stress or emotional eater, that you go back and listen to the four steps to go through in order to minimize the occurrence of stress eating. And for those of you who are parents, make sure that you go back and listen to how she said that you should approach nutrition with your kids. I think this is going to be a huge challenge for us in the future of how to approach nutrition with our children because of all of the challenges that we face in our society today. So if we can just apply what we listen to today, then we can be a huge part of minimizing the severity of that problem. But with that said, y'all, it's time. It's time to go out there and implement the advice that Kim just imparted upon us. And it's time to show up and show out. And it's time to get closer and closer to your best.